The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode number 123 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. My name is Sean Rapier. I am your host. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. We have a fantastic conversation coming up. But before we do, I do want to thank our reviewers. Uh, This week, we had reviews on Apple Podcasts from Utah Mama Mia and C. Nielsen 30. And we are up to 104 total customer reviews and 256 ratings, and we have kept our five-star rating average. So thank you so much to our two reviewers again this week, and to all of you for your kind words and your reviews. It really helps people find the show, so thank you. Uh, This week on the show, my guest, Lexi Austin. It was so much fun sitting down and talking to Lexi. We've never met We uh, did the interview online. She is the host of The Savior Said, a Come Follow Me podcast. And talking to her, it was like sitting down with an old friend. Very easy conversation to have. And she is just a truly great soul and shares a lot of really neat insight. But I thoroughly enjoyed uh, talking with her. You're going to love this conversation. And this week in my latter day life, grief is a funny thing. It's all coming up, so sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. And this week on the Latter-day Lives podcast, my guest is the host of the Savior Said podcast, Lexi Austin. Welcome to the show. Thanks, John. I'm glad to be here. Uh, Super excited to have you on. You joined our uh, Latter-day Saint podcaster group in July. When did you start uh, the Save Your Said podcast? I actually started it in December of 2018, right after the announcement that Come Follow Me was coming out. And so that's when I kind of started recording, trying to get ahead of the episodes because I I like, and you'll probably talk about this later, but I like to put my episodes out about two weeks before the actual Come Follow Me assignment for people who are preparing Sunday school lessons and things like that. So I started about mid-December of 2018. So you just hit your year mark, uh, or sorry, you, yeah, you hit your year mark just a couple months ago. That's awesome. Congratulations. Super exciting. Yeah, just real recently. Thank you. All right. So we're going to get into the podcast a little bit later, but one thing I got to tell you, and it's embarrassing, I'm... I'm not the brightest guy out there, but when I saw the name of your show, The Savior Said, I thought, what a great name for a Come Follow Me themed podcast, because we're going to study all the things The Savior Said. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I saw it in July. This morning, it dawned on me that that is the second line of the song after Come Follow Me. (laughs) So it literally took me six six or seven months to realize that the name is a play on, uh, on the song. That's so awesome. So. Well, it's perfect too because it is. We're talking all about the save what the savior said. So <laughs> it's perfect. Well, we're going to get into the podcast because I have so many questions about it. But first of all, let's hear a little bit about you. And we should say to our guests, where where are you, or to our audience, where are you recording from? I am in Huntsville, Alabama. So that's North Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I am sitting in Linden, Utah. Very jealous uh, of the fact that you are surrounded by world-class barbecue, by the way. Yeah, Uh, we have the best barbecue. Yeah, you're at the epicenter, and you can actually get white barbecue sauce, which we cannot get in Utah. But that's a theme for another day. So, uh, but, But we have never met before, and so I get to learn about you along with our audience, which is awesome. Tell us a little bit about where you're from, where you grew up. Okay, well, I was born and raised here in Huntsville, Alabama, and um, Huntsville's a very interesting place. We like to say that we're in Alabama, but we are not of Alabama. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We have a giant um, army installation here, Redstone Arsenal, and then also we're like the southern epicenter of the Space NASA 
NASA and all that stuff. We have space camps here. Johnson Space Flight Center is here. So there's lots of rocket scientists in this area. Um, my dad especially is a rocket scientist. And so a lot of these people are transplanted into Huntsville from other areas. So it's actually very rare to meet people who are born and raised in Huntsville. Most of them have been transplanted in. So um, my parents are both transplants into Huntsville, and that's why I was born and raised here. So so I know I'm big on dad jokes. Mm-hmm. Please tell me that your dad said it's not rocket science regularly. <laughs> oh, yes. He's like, it's not like it's rocket science, but if it is, you know, I could do it. I've got a PhD in rocket <laughs> science, so, you know. <laughs> I had no idea there was that much, uh, that there was that much space going on. Uh, in Alabama, I had no clue. Did you? Were you able to go to some of the space camps and things growing up? You know, okay, so this is really awful. But like, you know, you hear about people who live in Orlando, like never go to Walt Disney World. Um, I mean, I went to Space and Rocket Center that we have, the U.S. Space and Rocket Center. That's a really big tourist attraction here. I went to it a couple of times. I never did space camp. Like, I mean, you're just, you're surrounded mm. by NASA stuff all day long. So you're kind of like, meh, whatever. <laughs> Not a big deal. Like, look, I live it day by day. (laughs) I have a hero living in my home. So were you uh, born and raised in the church? I was, yes. Um, Both of my parents are converts, and they met after they converted to the church. And so I was born and raised in the church here in Huntsville. So growing up in the South in the church is a whole other experience, too. I wanted to talk about that because I've been to the church. I've been to church many times in the South. But I've never lived in the South. So what's it like growing up as a member of the church in the South? Well, there's there's two kind of parts to it. There's the goods and the bads. And the good part is, is that the South is so steeped in religion that it's very not totally usual to be able to go to church. And, you know, one of the first questions you get asked when you go to school is, are you a Christian? And, you know, I mean, every it's all in our culture everywhere is God and Christ. And so that's really cool to have that community support for, you know, Christianity. Um, the bad part of it is, is that sometimes there's misunderstandings about like our church specifically. Um, you know, I would go with my friends to various church functions at their church all the time growing up. I went to midnight Catholic mass for Christmas Eve, you know, and yeah. different other stuff, Baptist revivals and things like that, because it's all about Christ, right? Um, we just have a little bit more of the picture and also the correct authority, you know, but I still yep. loved feeling the spirit there at their churches too. Um, But one church in particular was doing a whole workshop on like religions of the world, and they brought in these special like experts, and I'm saying that with like quotation marks, on the Mormon church. And I mean, they pulled up all kinds of stuff like you would not believe. And so they come to church, my friends come to school the next day, and they're like, okay, so we've learned all about your church. And I'm like, oh no, what have you learned? And they start spouting off this stuff about aliens, and I mean, just crazy out of left field stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) guys, you know me. Do you think I really believe that? Like, do you think I really believe that, that I go there on Sunday and worship aliens? Like, do you think that? (laughs) Um, And so we had to have some talks about that. And um, there was a time my senior year in high school where I went to a party and the student body president of my high school was also a pastor's son. And he comes up to me in front of this crowd of people and he's like, "Uh, you're Mormon and you're going to hell. And I had to be like, whoa, buddy, um, you're wow. not the one that decides that. <laughs> and I'm really glad yeah. you don't. <laughs> I think I'm okay, though. <laughs> wow. See, and that's so different. Did you, what was your answer when people would say, are you Christian? Oh, that's actually a really good question. Um, Because people would say, are you Christian? And I'd say, what is your definition of Christian? And they'd say, well, you have to mm. accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have to be baptized in his name. And I'm like, well, check, check. I got both of those things. You know, I <laughs> definitely accept him as my Lord and Savior, and I've been baptized in his name. So, yes, I am a Christian. We had a guest on uh, who's a good friend of mine, Nate, and he, uh, Nate, Nate Jones, and he actually uses the term Latter-day Christian. When he yeah, first I love that. He's like, you know, he said, as a Latter-day Christian, uh, but I love that we stand up for being Christian. So how, how many kids are in your family? I'm actually the oldest of five kids. Um, mm. There's four older sisters, and then we have one little brother. And the age range from me to my little brother is about 12 years. So awesome. <laughs> it was a family. wild house. Yeah. What, uh, what were you into growing up? What was your passion? Reading. Like, period, reading. I love to read. I've always loved to read. Um, I'm constantly reading stuff, and I've done that ever since I was really small. 
Um, and then I started working in libraries. I started volunteering in my local library when I was 13. And by the time I was 15, I was literally paid on their employee role and I was working in my public library. And so I spent a lot of times reading and being in library. Like that's, that's pretty much what I do. So you get done with high school. Mm-hmm. You know, you're older now. You're you're ready to fly the coop. What came next? Next, I went to BYU. So I went to BYU in 2000, and I got out there. And my BYU experience was, I think, a little different from most people's BYU experience. I had kind of a rough time there, and I think at the time I was going through some like depression and undiagnosed social anxiety. And BYU mm. is very good if you're like extroverted and you love to be around people. But if you're struggling with those things and you don't necessarily want to be around people, it can be kind of a hard place. And so yeah. those four years, when I look back on them, I mean, I got a world-class education and I loved that the learning that happened there. But I mean, the social stuff there was really, really rough for me. Um, and I, I worked at the Harold B. Lee Library there on campus. And that's like my safe place. Like when I think about when I felt the best mm. and when I felt the safest at BYU was when I was there at the library. And I would guess that a lot of people have, I mean, you say it's not typical. I would guess there are a lot more people who have that experience. And I think it's great that, you know, you talk about it and you own it. How much of it do you think was, uh, was culture shock? I mean, Provo, I, you know, I've spent some good time in Alabama Spent, you know, most, well, 25 years now near Provo, Mm -hmm. not even remotely similar. No, not at all. (laughs) I I had never been to Utah before. Um, I went to tour BYU my junior year and I got off the plane and we're like driving from Salt Lake to Provo and there were passing signs for like Lehigh and stuff like that. I turned to my mom and I'm like, mom, it's like Mormon land here. Like it's like (laughs) Disney world, but like for Mormons, like there's so much Mormon stuff here. (laughs) I was the same way. I mean, it's just, and occasionally I still am and I've lived here for 25 years now, but yeah, you're not wrong on that. So did you find a way, I mean, you're there for four years Mm -hmm. Did you figure out, you know, did you just withdraw or did you figure out, okay, this is how I'm going to play the social game? Um, I mean, I, I think, you know, falling back in on the library, the periodical section is where I worked and we had a really close knit group of friends there that worked in that section. And so they kind of became, you know, my little family there. Um, And so that was tricky because so much of like what is family at BYU is like defined by your ward. And there were several, I mean, I don't think I ever had a ward that I truly felt comfortable in, Mm. which is sad to say, but I mean, I really just, I had a really hard time with the wards there at BYU and I'm not exactly sure why. I think it was me being socially anxious and, you know, awkward, but, um, sorry, what was the question? I totally No, I, uh, it was just, no, I think you answered it was how you figured out your social situation and two things that you said that I love that I think are two great takeaways is first of all, you've done a really nice job separating, at least here in the conversation, separating your ward and your social experience and BYU from mm-hmm. your testimony and the gospel. You know, I think that sometimes those can get very intermingled or, or maybe they did for you, but it doesn't sound like it. Nope. Never. Sometimes we hear people, you know, they'll, where they'll say, well, I didn't feel like I was part of the ward. I didn't get along with my roommates as well. And I kind of withdrew from the gospel. Mm-mm, nope. And in fact, it was, if anything, it strengthened my faith in my Savior because I wasn't going to church to see friends. And I wasn't going to church with anyone expecting me to be mm. there. And I wasn't going to church, you know, for like social events and stuff like that. I was going for my Savior. A hundred and fifty percent. And like, you See, know, that's awesome. yeah, that's perfect. That's exactly why I was there. I think the other thing that I take away from this is it's we we are have a very easy time stereotyping people. And I only, you know, before today knew you from your podcast. If you were to say describe Lexi, first word I would use is extrovert. You know, you come across. (laughs) (laughs) But but on the podcast, I mean, you come across as so open. And again, we'll talk more about the podcast later. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important because I think that people have, you know, it's funny. I tend to be an introvert too. And yet, you know, I host a podcast and I'm a stand-up comic. Those are not 
what people think of classic introverted things. Yeah. But yeah. I really prefer to sit down with two or three friends than be at a big party. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, growing up the way I did with my two parents, my mom is supremely extroverted. Like, if there's anything she can be president of, she's president of it and, like, networking. (laughs) Whereas, you know, my dad, the rocket scientist, like, she drags him along to, like, her social events and he sits in the corner and does math for fun. Like, I mean, that's the two of them. So I have that introverted side, I think, from my dad. But I've learned to fake it really well from my mom the extroversion. And even though I'm not an extrovert, I can act like it when I need to be. You get done with BYU. Where did you go next? Um, Well, that was, you know, that's one of the scariest moments in anybody's life. I think once you graduate college, I graduated Mm -hmm. with a humanities degree and an English minor. And I knew that the next step for me was going to be getting my master's in library science. I knew I wanted to be a librarian. I mean, it was very obvious that that was the path that the Lord wanted me on. He wanted me to be a librarian. I had no idea that was a thing. I did not know that there was a degree in library science. Yeah, not a lot of people do. Um, but yes, that and to be an actual official librarian, you need to have that. They call it an MLS, Master's in Library Science. So, I mean, that's the, the official stamp that you are a librarian. And so I knew that's what I wanted. And I just needed to know where was I supposed to go, you know, in this entire world to get that MLS. And so... I decided to come back home. And Mm. that was a really big leap of faith for me because, you know, I had job offers in a couple other places and, you know, different library positions where I could work and get my master's at the same time. And, um, but it just felt like I needed to come back to Huntsville and work for minimum wage with a college degree, which at that point was like $6 an hour or something. And wow. Yeah. And so I did. I came home. I moved back in with my parents and I just worked my way up through our local public library. Um, It's one of the busiest libraries in the South, but I just worked my way up. And it was through that time of coming back and just working, you know, there kind of working my way up the ladder that I really found that I loved working with kids and I loved working Mm. with children's literature, which is something you know, being from such a big family, when I went off to college, I was like, I'm never working with kids again. I'm so tired of kids. Like, <laughs> most of my life has been spent taking care of my brothers and sisters, and I just don't don't want to do it anymore. And so I was very anti-kid. And then I come back, and I start working in the library, and I'm like, oh, look at those story times. Those look fun. And, um, you know, oh, look at that youth programming. That looks fun. And so I started working more and more <laughs> with the youth librarians. And then when it was time for me to go get my master's degree, I specialized specifically in youth and adolescent library services. And so Mm. that totally changed the course of my life. And, you know, now I've spent like the last 10 plus years of my life devoted to serving youth and adolescents through library services. So so what is it that you love so much? I love reading. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm... I I hate to say it, I've become a Kindle reader. I travel a lot, so having lots of books on yeah, one device great. is nice for me. Uh, tell us, I mean, what is it that you love so much about the library? Um, I think honestly, it's familiar, so it feels comfortable to me, and. I think from a very early age, I was directed specifically to work in libraries and to be in libraries by my Heavenly Father. Um, I don't know that I necessarily would have chosen it naturally for myself. Um, I mean, I definitely think he directed my path that way for a very specific purpose. And like, you know, it's very interesting that not a lot of people when they're that young get their like life's mission, like you are going to be this thing. And so I was really lucky, I think, that I found that so early. Um, but they're just familiar to me. Like when I went out to BYU in my freshman year and I was struggling and I didn't really have a place, like I would literally go to the Harold Bailey library and just curl up in like the chairs there and just kind of sit there until finally, I guess about six months in, they took pity on me and gave me a job. So, you know, cause I'm like, it's just, uh, it's my comfortable place being around the books and that I, knowledge. I love you know? it. And I love the library. I have great memories, especially when I was a kid, but then also of taking our little kids to story time and things. Yes. But I just have to put it out there that part of why I try to live righteously is that I'm afraid if I don't, I'm going to have to spend the eternity finding books through the Dewey Decimal System. (laughs) The single, single most confusing thing of my life. I mean... So are you really, you must be like totally comfortable with the Dewey Decimal System. Oh, yes. I had it memorized by the time I was 16. 
like uh, the common topics. Oh, oh yeah, fairy tales three ninety eight point two, poetry oh 11, gosh, eight no. eleven, dinosaurs five sixty seven. Like I mean, <laughs> yeah. Lexi, that is one of the greatest things I've ever heard. That somebody loves the Dewey Decimal System so much they memorized now, I, it by the time they were I don't a teenager. Know I love it. That I, it's not necessarily that I love it. It's that it was a necessity. It was like survive or die oh, by the Dewey Decimal so System. Funny. So. Yeah. All right. So I hate to admit it, but I haven't been in a library in in a long time. Is it still? Are there still card stacks, or are you digital no. looking things up now? Yeah, like, everything's digital. Everything's online. Cards. Yeah. Of course, I'm everything... so old. You know. <laughs> no, yeah. I I remember that too. I remember that too. But no, everything's online. Everything's digital, and that's I'm actually in an elementary school library now. Is where I work. I'm a school librarian, and so that's one of the things that we do is we teach the kids how to access not only the card catalog is like we old people think of it. It's their online mm. catalog now, but we teach them how to search that and how to move through that. But then also that's kind of teaching them how to move through databases, which then helps them search the internet and make smart choices as they are consumers of information online. So um, that's kind of part of the job too. But once, it's fun. once you got your master's, did you go straight into school libraries? No, I actually spent a good long time. Um, I've only been in school libraries for about seven years now. So I spent a good mm. long time at the public library working in various youth services jobs. Um, I've done everything from being a youth services outreach librarian, which means you go to like the poorest of the poor places mm. where they don't have library services and you help the kids there. And then I also was the manager, the head of youth services for the biggest branch of our local library, the downtown library here in Huntsville. So I managed several people, a, a staff there um, for a while, and I decided I didn't like managing. I don't like being in charge of other people and having to settle their drama. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> you know, and also at that point, my son had gotten to the point where he was about five or six years old, and I realized I was paying someone to watch him in daycare so that I could go and like read stories to other people's children. And I was like, oh my gosh, something wrong with this. <laughs> and so that's when I was like, I need to go to be a school librarian so that we have the same schedule. And so that's yeah. worked out really well. That's neat. My wife works for the school district. We have the same thing, summers off and mm -hmm. similar hours. It's, it's been a real blessing. Yes. Um, but we kind of skipped ahead. You have a son. Yes. Uh, at some point, you got married during uh -huh. this this whole process. Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, are you ready for this? It is a story. Okay. I love it. Okay. So I moved back to Huntsville. I'm working at the library. I'm getting my master's degree. And the whole time, I'm like, Heavenly Father, why am I single? Because I felt like I stayed single a whole lot longer than the rest of my friends who are married and having babies and stuff. And I mean, I was like 26, 27 or so. Um and which is so young. I mean, really, so I know how I it know. feels. I know. I know how it feels in the moment. You've been through four years at BYU, but mm -hmm. it's so young. It is so, so young. But, you know, and so I'm fretting that I'm an old spinster at the age of like, you know, 26, 27. <laughs> um, and, you know, the whole thing was just get your master's degree. You've got to get that master's degree. And so I graduated with my master's degree in December. And then that December, I have a friend who I promise you, I think she has a spiritual gift of matchmaking, which, you know, sounds crazy. <laughs> But by the time that she introduced me to my husband, she had already had six marriages from other matches she had made. And since then, she's had dozens more. So, I mean, wow. this girl, like, I don't know, but Father in Heaven has blessed her with a gift to match people up because she was like, <laughs> Lexi, you've got to meet this guy. He's a single dad. He has full custody of his kid. And you just got to meet him. And I'm like, no, I don't want someone with a kid. I don't want attachments. Like, I don't want to be part of that. And she's like, oh, but you need to, you need to. I'm like, no, no, no. So I fought it. <laughs> for a while until eventually she put us together. She was a, a volunteer coordinator and she was in charge of Santa's workshop. We have the Santa's village thing. It's like a tourist attraction where people come, they meet Santa Claus and they go to Santa's workshop and they make reindeer out of craft kits. Oh, and fun. she needed elves to be in Santa's workshop. And so I signed up to be an elf and my future husband signed up to be an elf and she happened to put us together and, you know, it clicked. Um, but it was interesting <laughs> when I met him because he was not a member of the church. You know, I'm mm. like the world's worst missionary ever because he's like, you're Mormon. Because I told him I went to BYU. And I was like, yeah. And he said, that's awesome. I listened to Glenn Beck and he's a member of your church and I want to know more. And I'm like, no, you don't. And he, <laughs> he said, yes, I do. I want to go to church with you. I'm like, no, we're weird. You don't. You don't. Trust me. You don't. We're weird. 
Wait a minute, this is the teacher who would later go on to host a Come Follow Me podcast, yes. wasn't going to share the gospel. No, because here's the thing, is I had a friend, a really good friend, who had had someone convert to the church, and she married him, and then he later left the church. And so that was one of my biggest fears, which, and this is a, a whole aside that, like, two of my biggest fears in life at that point in my life was that I would marry someone who converted to the church for me and then would leave, and the other one was that, is that I would never be able to have children. And both of those fears mm. came true. So, you know, I've learned that with my Heavenly Father, I can literally walk through my biggest fears, which is a pretty cool thing. But um, wow. so obviously he um, came with me to church a couple of times, obviously, um, got baptized and we were married in the temple in the Birmingham, Alabama temple. And then mm. about a year or so after we got married, he started getting into some anti stuff online and left the church and, you know, very anti the church now. And um, our son mm. at that point, his, my husband's first wife, our son's biological mother was still alive. Um, she had made some lifestyle choices, which was the reason that they had gotten a divorce that were endangering our son. And so those lifestyle choices at when my, our son was like about five years old, um, caused her to pass away. And so from the time that oh. he's been five years old, I've been mom, you know, just wow. mom. Him. So, um, but yeah, so he's now 14. So we've had a good long time together and he's a sweet little guy. And I'm so grateful for him being in my life. You know, something that I was very anti against in the, I don't want, I don't want a single dad. I don't want that responsibility is now yeah, one right. of the things in my life. So, um, oh, it's that's cool. awesome. Yeah. I think we probably have a, a lot of listeners who either they're in the situation or they certainly know someone in the situation where one spouse is either becoming disaffected, mm -hmm. is thinking, or maybe has made the decision, hey, I'm I'm kind of over it with the church. This was uh, how many years ago that you went through this? That um, at it was first? about seven years ago. It was about three years after yeah. we got married, maybe that it really got bad. So you you've had a lot of time to deal with this now. Mm -hmm. What 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 advice would you give people if they're facing that same challenge? Um, to hold on and to not let it pull them away. Um, one of the things that I see a blessing I see that has come out of this is I think had he stayed in the church, I know me and I know my personality. I would have just leaned on him, and I wouldn't necessarily be doing all the stuff like come follow me mm. and delving deep into my scriptures and shoring up my testimony the way I am now if I just had him to lean on. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it may be different for other people. I mean, other people who both have members who are fully active, I'm sure it's different for them, but I just know my personality that it is a blessing to me to have to rely on myself. And that yeah. has been a blessing to build up my testimony and make it so strong that I can stand up that I way. I love that. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. Lexi, that's awesome. Did you guys did it come to the point where it was kind of like, okay, I'm going to go do this thing and you go do your thing? Or did you have to sit down and come up with rules for, hey, here's how we're going to kind of make this work together? And then how do you make that work with your son? Oh, <laughs> that's really interesting. I mean, we never actually sat down and had like a, this is, these are the rules and this is what we're going to follow. But I mean, it's just, you know, since he slowly kind of pulled away and then got more and more against the church. Um, I mean, there were just different lines that were drawn in the sand. And um, I mean, one of the, he did leave and go to a different church that's here in the South. And he, my son mm. goes to it as well. One of the big things that he wanted, he did not want our son to be baptized into the Latter-day Saint church. Um, yeah. the church of Jesus Christ. He did not want that. And so by the time our son was eight, he was going to church with my husband instead. So, we have in our house is just a Christian faith house. I mean, we say morning prayers together. Yeah. We say evening prayers together. We pray over all of our meals. We talk about God. You know, when it's Christmas time, we're reading the nativity story together every day. We have a different scripture that mm. we read in the Bible. Come follow me. Last year was really fun because I could talk to them about like the biblical stories and stuff. Um, so we do that and we have a very active religious atmosphere in our home. It's just, you know, we have two yeah. different denominations living under the roof. So it's it's just kind of interesting. I think you are the best example of what we keep hearing about in a conference, which is, you know what? You bring what you have and we'll bring what we have. Mm -hmm. And the crossover is so much greater. 
You know, when I think about when you were talking about the the kids who had learned about you and, you know, suddenly knew all about you and all about your religion when you were younger, yeah. you know, uh, and, and yet when we really delve down, we're 90% crossover with so many faiths, yes. you know, now the 10% is pretty darn important. Oh, it's super important. But I love that you've chosen to focus on the Christianity mm-hmm. and on the good things and, and that that's, you've been able to keep your marriage and your family strong that way, I think is just awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. Um, so this leads us kind of up to now, which is suddenly the church goes through, gosh, lots of changes. Yeah. Uh, and one of them is, hey, to our church. Uh-huh. And we've got this new program called Come Follow Me. So how did it go from we've got this new program, Come Follow Me, how did it go from that into, hey, I better host a podcast? Well, I think, you know, my Heavenly Father is so good to me because he knows exactly how my brain works. And so he knows, like, I need to, like, ease into things. And so about six months before the big announcement of Come Follow Me, like, I kept thinking, like, oh, man, I wish there was, like, a study guide for the scriptures as I'm doing my scripture study that would really, like, help me liken the scriptures unto myself and, like, really delve deeply into this and, like, really help me think about things. I really wish the church would <laughs> put out something like this. Like I have the Institute manual, but it's not really what I want. I want like more of a, you know, and so I'm like craving like this, you know, guide kind of to go along with my scripture study. And then they announce it in church and I'm like, boom, restored gospel testimony right there. Like this is exactly (laughs) what I need. Right. And so I was really excited about that. And at the same time, I started listening to a lot of podcasts, which is unusual for me because I usually listen to audiobooks. Like if I'm going to listen to something, it's an audiobook. But I really yeah. got into podcasts just randomly. Um, and specifically, the one that really stood out to me a lot was Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Um, I love Harry Potter and Harry Potter and the sacred text. It has two, they're ordained ministers of different churches or whatever, but they go in and they read, they use like the different ways that they used to read sacred texts, like the Bible, but they apply it to Harry Potter and pull out values and things like that, that you can apply in your life, you know, honesty and friendship and trustworthiness. And it's very cool. So that was the a podcast I was listening to pretty much daily. And I realized the impact it was having on my life where I was looking for those values in my life. I was looking for people who had virtue and people who were showing honesty as they walked through their lives in that day. And I was like, that is so cool that that podcast has that much impact on me. And so then they go, the church announces, come follow me. I'm really jazzed about it. I'm really excited until I get to the point where they're like, and you're going to discuss it with your families. And I'm like, whoa, hold up. Wait, <laughs> like, let's put on the brakes. Because <laughs> um, I was like, oh, that's going to be difficult. And then I was like, well, what if there was a podcast? Like, what if there was a podcast out there that I could just like listen to on the way to work and back again? I've got like a 30 minute commute and um, I could just listen to it. And that would be my come follow me experience. And then I was like, what if I did that podcast. Could I do it? Like, could I really do it? I don't know if I could do it. And um, I love the gospel. I love talking about the gospel. I love teaching. And so I was like, well, let's try it. Let's give it a whirl. And that's how The Savior Said was born. And here we are a year later and over 60,000 downloads, which is mind blowing to me because I thought literally it would be me and like my mom listening to it. (laughs) Like so, (laughs) So it's more than my mom. And that's awesome. And that is a lot of downloads, you know. I mean, it's that's a lot of people sitting and listening to you. Mm-hmm. How did you How did you figure out? Because I get people, and you may have had this happen too. I get people a lot who reach out and go, "What the heck? I've got an idea, but how do I start? How did you figure out, you know, e- equipment and hosting and publishing and everything else?" Well, Sean, you have to remember I'm a librarian. Oh, you're a librarian. Why on earth did I not think of that? Of course. (laughs) I research everything like to the nth degree. So um, I just did my research. I researched the kind of microphone. I researched what software to use. And I'd actually used Audacity before, which is the software I Mm. use. I'd used it before for other projects. So I was familiar with the software. I was fairly familiar with microphones and like using audio equipment and stuff like that. And so it was just a matter of researching and comparing podcast hosting sites and, you know, listening to other podcasts to see what kind of format they had and how I could make a similar format. And um, just it went on from there. I just researched. How was it uh, recording that first episode? Terrifying. actually, Actually hitting the publish button. What's that like? Terrifying. And um, 
if if you go back and you listen to my first episode, it's so rough. Oh, it's like cringeworthy. But one of the things I All do- All of us, by the way. Every podcaster will tell you the same thing. <laughs> Every one of us. We all dread our first episode. Like going back and looking at your middle school pictures where you got the big goofy bangs, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's a similar feeling. That's exactly what it's like. But I knew that I just needed to get out there and do it. And so I thought like, what is the most like cringy, emotional, like opening up my heart thing that I can talk about. And so I did. And so if you go and you listen to that first episode, I talk about, you know, infertility and what happened to me. And um, I mean, it is like a roller coaster, but after laying all that out there, like that's the hardest thing ever to do from then on. I'm like, boom, I got this. Like everything else is going to be easier from this on. And so, um, yeah, I just went for the jugular. And then after that, all the other episodes were pretty easy. So I love it. You have such a natural, folksy way. I was telling you before we started recording, I think that, uh, or at the beginning of the show anyway, but that mm-hmm. I feel like we're sitting in your living room and <laughs> yeah. you're just, hey, this week I've got Come Follow Me. And what I love is, you know, you, you throw in some nice little phrases from the South. Uh, I think that last week you start off with, all right, y'all, this week, and I just thought, <laughs> That's the way Come Follow Me is supposed to be. Yeah. It's supposed to be that personal. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that I love is a, there are a few other Come Follow Me podcasts, and they're fantastic. Mm-hmm. But they focus more on here's a way to think about things or here's how to teach it. And yours, yeah. it really feels like I am living through your Come Follow Me study. Yeah. As you share your personal thoughts. Does it ever feel like, do you ever publish and then think, whoops, shared a bit much there? <laughs> no, um, not necessarily. I think the only thing that has ever made me be concerned about that is someone made a comment once that when you listen to the Savior said, you need to make sure that you receive your own revelation because Lexi's receiving revelation for herself. And I was like, yes, oh my gosh, please tell me no one is listening to the Savior set as like their only come follow me like material. I was like, oh, I'm horrified by that. And so that's why if you go and listen to the show now, there's like a little disclaimer in the introduction, like that this is my revelation for me and get your own and read your own scriptures. Um, And so that was my only big concern. The other time where I had a concern about things that I'm putting out there is when I had coworkers at work that would start listening to it. And I'm like, oh, that just makes me nervous. I'm like, you know, I'm the worst missionary in the world. I'm telling you, like the worst because, you know, anyone at church picks it up and it's fine. And, but, oh, it just made me nervous when my non-member coworkers would would listen to it. But I mean, other than that, that those were my two big concerns. It's awesome. And I think it's important to point out that, yes, there is nothing to supplant Come Follow Me. There's nothing to be in the place of it. Mm-mm. But that as an addition to Come Follow Me, I've I've enjoyed it, you know, getting ready for this conversation I listened and then doing my own study. It's funny because little points will pop up where I'll go, oh, yeah, that's right. Lexi was talking about this. But then <laughs> I will take it and think of it my own way and go, okay, yeah. cool. Um, what's some of the feedback you've gotten from your listeners? Um, that they just enjoy the insights that I give. And um, again, like the folksy kind of funny way that they feel like I'm just in there talking to them. And um, that's kind of, you know, I'm not a BYU professor. I'm not someone who has, you know, tons of knowledge about the scriptures and can go really into depth of like, this is, you know, like, and there, there's people out there that can do that and they're amazing, but that's not me. Like I am just kind of a hot mess and I love my Lord and my savior. And that's like what I do is I just kind of, you know, bear my testimony in the middle of my hot mess and, you know, whatever sticks, sticks. I really think I need a t-shirt that says, I am a hot mess and I love my Lord. Because (laughs) I think that might describe 90% of us. (laughs) I'm a hot mess, but I love my Lord. Yeah, Um, yeah, but you do. And and I, I don't mean folksy, like to downgrade what you do, because I think I would, I would actually use the word approachable and you tend to take complicated things, especially I think last year was a little bit trickier than the book of Mormon, just for me Mm -hmm. at least. Um, But you tend to take complicated ideas 
And then suddenly you'll place it into your own life and make it go, oh, that's not really that complicated. Mm -hmm. There's a simple way of looking at it. How much has your years working with children impacted the, uh, the Savior said? I definitely think that there is some impact from those years working with kids and just teaching in general, but I have to give the bulk of the credit to my heavenly father. Um, you know, I, I know that I have a gift to teach. Um, it's, I was taught that in my patriarchal blessing. No and doubt. so no that's question. A, yeah, there's a gift that I, I use and it's in his service. And the deal that we made when I made the savior said the deal I made with my heavenly father is that I would do this, but I needed his help. And there have been times where I have sat down, I recorded my closet. And so I sit down in my closet, I look at my laptop and I'm like, oh, Heavenly Father, I don't even know what to say this week. Like I read the scriptures, but I don't understand it and I don't know what's going on. And um, I open my mouth and it comes out. And like an hour later, I have an episode. And so... Yeah, maybe there's stuff that I do, but I have to tell you, like 95% of it is him. 95%. Of course. And that's awesome. But you have that gift. I mean, you really do. And and I think it's funny. I, I don't know where I saw. I saw a video that you do record in your closet. You literally <laughs> sit in your closet and record. Do you usually record straight through or do you record in sections? Um, usually I record straight through just because I don't have the amount of time to like really devote to sections. So usually I have maybe like an hour or so on like a Friday night or Saturday afternoon that I just sit down and just blast through. And awesome. all week long, I'll be studying the scriptures. Usually I, I like to do one read through. I like to listen to them audio, like audibly as well. I like to do one listen through as well. And then I go through Come Follow Me and I focus on specific sections and kind of really delve into there, look for other materials as well. You know, what has we heard about this in general conference and is there some other stuff I can look up? Like the latest episode I did, there's a whole part about Jacob. He's talking about Rahab and slaying the monster of death and hell. Mm. And I was like, who's Rahab? And I looked it up and it, Rahab was like an Egyptian sea monster. And I'm like, that's so cool. So I kind of went off on a bend on that because that just fascinated me. But um, so then I look for other material to add on and then I sit down and just blast right through all the way through. Oh, I love it. I've seen people who feel intimidated by Come Follow Me. It's like, hey, I really liked my, I get to show up for third hour at church. Someone else teaches me. I'm satisfied. But bringing it into my own home for whatever reason is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. What advice do you have if people are struggling with the Come Follow Me program? Come follow me to me was so welcome because, again, I have that relationship where I go to church for my Savior. The whole social aspect of church has just always been awkward for me. It's not my favorite. So come follow me to me was like, oh, yes, I can, you know, worship my Savior every single day of the week and I can learn more about him in my home and really firm up my personal relationship with him. I think sometimes when we have intimidation about doing come follow me, it's we're worried about doing come follow me with our families and how are we going to institute it with our families? And I think we definitely do need to worry about that. And we definitely do need to institute it with our families, but we miss out sometimes on doing come follow me with ourselves. And making sure yeah. that our testimony is strengthened and that we're not just, again, going to church, like you said, sitting there through third hour and letting someone kind of feed the doctrine to us, but we're actually actively looking for it and going out and searching for it and searching for our own personal revelation too. So that would oh, be my I love my that so much. Listen, this has been wonderful. We're about at time. I have so thoroughly enjoyed getting to know you, Lexi, and I <laughs> love glad. the podcast. And I'm just going to give it my highest possible review. It's it's fantastic, and our audience should definitely go check it out. And uh, it's called The Savior Said, and it's mm-hmm. found on pretty much any platform where people get their podcasts. Correct. Any platform where you get your podcast, just look for The Savior Said, a Come Follow Me podcast. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I know it works through Apple. I was uh, listening to it earlier this morning. So it's just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to wrap up and I I don't think I prepared you for this. So this will be fun. We're going to wrap up with the question that I ask all of my guests, which uh-huh. is what does being a member of the church mean to you? 
Well, I actually cheat because I listened to your podcast too, so I knew you were going to ask that. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, like good, I said, because I always forget to prep people. Yeah, it's it's all good. Um, like I said, growing up in the South, you know, getting a taste of so many other Christian denominations, like I see truth, especially truth about our Savior, as a puzzle. And some of the denominations have some puzzle pieces. We have more puzzle pieces, and the puzzle pieces that we have reveal much more of the picture than any of the other puzzle pieces out there. So being a member of this church means that I have more of the puzzle pieces. I can be closer to my Savior, and I also have the authority in my life to become closer to my Savior. And I have those ordinances that bring me closer to my Savior. And I have the ability each week to go and take that sacrament and make covenants, renew my covenants with my Savior. And um, that's a beautiful thing to me. So the membership in this church is really about taking his name upon me and striving to be the best person I can under his name. I mean, that's really what it means to me. Uh, that's fantastic. What a great answer. She is a wife, a mother, a librarian, a podcast host, and a hot mess, but she sure <laughs> loves her savior. Yes. <laughs> Lexi Austin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your Latter-day life with us. We appreciate it. Thank you, Sean. <laughs> And my special thanks to my guest, Lexi Austin. Wasn't she just wonderful? I really think that we need t-shirts that say, I'm a hot mess, but I love my Lord, because I think it describes every one of us. So thank you so much, Lexi. And please go check out The Savior Said, a Come Follow Me podcast. It is awesome. This week in my Latter-day life, uh, you know, it's, it feels like it was weeks ago, but, you know, it was just uh, just over a week ago that uh, I was sitting in our home and I got a message uh, from a coworker that said, did you hear the news about Kobe Bryant? And I had no idea what she was talking about. And within seconds, my phone blew up, just text after text after message. And I'm pretty open about my uh, love of the Los Angeles Lakers. I'm wearing a a Lakers t-shirt right now, actually, as I'm recording. That is one of my great passions in life. And uh, I was sure that the news wasn't true. Uh, but of course, as we quickly learned, it was. And as I saw that it was verified, I began to cry. Now, if you would have asked me 10 minutes earlier, hey, what would you do if Kobe Bryant passed away? I would have said, well, I'd be sad, I guess, you know, and, and then I'd move on. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. I've never met the man. Uh, I have had the, the chance to meet a few of my Laker heroes, but I never got to meet Kobe. And so, you know, I mean, I'd be sad, but that would be it. And there I sat crying. Why was I crying? This was so surprising to me. And it caught me off guard. And throughout the rest of the week, you know, there were all these tributes and everything else. I tried to kind of process. I actually wrote a personal post on Facebook about what I was feeling, especially when I saw that a friend of mine had posted on Facebook how ridiculous it was that people were posting all this about Kobe when they had never met him and they didn't know him. And to me, there's a difference. I had never met him, but I felt like I knew him. But more than anything, you know, his 20-year career I went and saw him play many times, but I saw him play with my best friends, with my dad, with my brother. You know, it was very personal in that way. But I kept kind of dissecting that loss, and that dovetailed into January 30th. January 30th would have been my brother's 50th birthday. When my brother was 45 years old, five years ago, he died in his sleep of a heart attack. It was the single most devastating thing that's ever happened in my life. It was just such a hard thing losing him. We had no idea. It was from one day to the next. He was suddenly gone. And I cried and cried and cried for so long after he passed away. And then, of course, we hit the firsts, the first Christmas without him, the first birthday of his, the first uh, anniversary of his death. And no matter what, you know, over time you do tend to heal. And of course, that's one of the blessings of the gospel is, you know, the atonement, the Savior heals our hearts. But still, when it comes to, you know, special events, when I would go up to the cemetery, 
on a special event, of course, I'm still crying five years later, and I get very emotional. And this year, on the 30th, uh, I was recording our other podcast, Sharing Time, with, uh, with my friend Ken. We finished up at about 10, and at about 10.30 p.m., I went up to the cemetery by myself. And I stood there at Todd's grave. And Todd, my brother, who passed away, as I stood there, and he's surrounded by other family my, of my, on my wife's side. Uh, right next to him is my wife's grandparents and a lot of people I love. But as I stood there on what would have been his 50th birthday here on earth, I felt zero sadness. I was overwhelmed by joy and nothing else. And it was the strangest feeling to feel nothing but joy. And I couldn't pinpoint why I felt joy. Much like I couldn't figure out why I was crying about Kobe Bryant, I couldn't figure out why I felt nothing but peace and joy in my heart as I stood at my brother's grave, my brother whom I love so much. And I walked away smiling and I got my car and put on some music and and went home. And what a blessing it was. And I don't know why. And I think it's important. Sometimes, you know, we see people who react to loss and they really struggle to get over it. And that's okay. And sometimes we think, you know, gosh, this person isn't reacting much at all. And I think that's okay, too. We all react differently to different types of loss. Grief is a weird thing. It's a funny thing. Again, if you would have asked me at the beginning of the week, I would have said I would never cry about Kobe. And I guarantee you I will cry on my brother's birthday. And yet just the opposite happened. I think deep down there is so much peace to be gained with the Savior. And with the atonement, knowing that it's all okay. But this mortal life is rough. It takes some crazy turns. And I think we really need to give people the space to mourn and grieve in their own way. Because grief really is just an odd and funny thing. But I'm so grateful for the Savior, and I'm grateful I get to mourn. And by the way, when Kobe passed away, even though I would have told you it didn't affect me, it did. But uh, I had multiple listeners, you know who you are, from the show, who know I'm a Lakers fan, and reached out and uh, just said how sad they were as well. Thank you. That meant a lot as well. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day Life. Thank you so much for tuning in again. If you know anyone who would enjoy the show, if you could share it with them, we are just growing every single week because of listeners like you who uh, find someone to share the show with. We appreciate it. Uh, You can follow us on social media, on Facebook, uh, as well as on Instagram. You can just look for the Latter-day Lives podcast. If you want to get a hold of me directly, I can be reached at sean at latterdaylives.com. That's S-H-A-W-N at latterdaylives.com. I am a little bit backed up on email messages. I've been traveling, but I'm in town all week. I'm going to get back to everybody who's emailed. So thank you so much. Well, that's about all we have for this week. So until we meet again, there is a great, big, beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. <laughs>